there! Welcome to The Ebon Hawk, a podcast discussing Star Wars news and Knights of the Old Republic. Today we are discussing the Ahsoka Tano of it all. Let's talk Mando. Spoiler alert for the Knights of the Old Republic series and the Star Wars films and TV shows. This is where the spin-off begins. Chapter 13 was called The Jedi, and one thing I really liked about this episode, first things first, it just started out with Ahsoka. It wasn't just like they tease her, and like in the last five seconds she appears. Uh, What did you think about just starting off with her? Uh, I think it was appropriate. Two episodes ago, we, we got the teaser that he's going after Ahsoka, and so I think... I think like publicly, a lot of people are like, "Oh, we're gonna see Ahsoka next episode," and then we had the uh, the siege episode, and uh, and and some people are like, "Oh, it's not Ahsoka," but so there was like a lot of that anticipation and build up, and so it didn't really bother me that we started right off with Ahsoka on this episode. I I thought it was a really good introduction for her character as well. Yeah, of course, Ahsoka, her first introduction to viewers was in the Clone Wars movie and then the Clone Wars series and Rebels and Dave Filoni was there from the beginning with Ahsoka and of course this episode was written and directed by Dave Filoni and while I personally really liked the Gunslinger episode in season one not a lot of people liked it but I think that you kind of see that Dave Filoni has grown as a director and yeah Ahsoka is confirmed to be played by Rosario Dawson. Uh, what did you think of Ahsoka's look? I thought it was fine. I saw I saw some some feedback over the head tails and and things, but yeah, none of that really bothered me. Uh, I thought it I thought it looked fine. I thought it looked natural to the character, and so you know, like as far as like the actress goes, you know, there's a lot of makeup and headgear involved, so it doesn't really like I, I felt like the look pretty well matched what I figured what a live um, adaptation of Ahsoka would be. I didn't pay too much attention to like a lot of the critiques that she received. I thought it, her look was on par with a lot of good cosplays. I think it could have been better and more accurate to what she looked like in Rebels, but you do have to remember that an actress has to wear this and move in it and do stunts. So I can kind of understand where they're coming from. So I think it's a good starter look because Ahsoka started out as an animated character and now she's finally making the jump to live action. So there's always going to be some growing pains, but I think they've established a good look and they can improve it in the future and find better ways to pull it off. I wouldn't have been opposed to like them using CGI or anything, but one thing I've kind of noticed with the Mandalorian show, I love the volume technology, but in some of the practical effects, some of the smaller effects, it 
looks very simplified and I think they could probably spend more money there in my mind, but I think it's a good starter look and it's they can always grow from that. So I just think that um like if if they were to involve CGI and like the look of Ahsoka, that would have been a lot of like a lot of detailed work to make it look presentable. And so I thought that like the practical effects for her look was probably the way to go and it did look fine yeah i, I do agree that sometimes who... the practical effects do get in the way um from like our previous discussion of uh baby yoda or, or grogu as we've now learned yeah who is the Togruden um master on the council who was also in the force unleashed uh shakti i'm trying to see yeah because i'm pulling up shakti's picture and of course ahsoka and shakti are of the same species. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a practical effect they use there. Yeah. So, and it looks pretty good with what they have there. I mean, of course, it's a movie with a movie budget, but maybe that would just, I don't know if they could have just like done what they kind of do with modern comic book movie shootings where they will CGI the cape. So, Henry Cavill will just be, you know, in a suit, and then they will CGI the cape in later. I, I was kind of just wondering, like, what if they just, like, CGI'd the Montreals in later? I don't know if that would be too much, or they need the shadows or lighting to be right, and or it's just kind of outside of their budget, but... No, I just think it would have been just a, about that. a lot of, like, a lot of unnecessary work. Uh, yeah. Like, the... As far as the the head tail like natural movement, I don't think there's like we've never really seen the uh, like the head tails move in such a way that it it would need to be animated, and so like, I I just think that it it would have it may have worked now, but it may have, it most likely wouldn't have aged well at all later. Which I can understand, so there's always just going to be growing pains whenever you kind of start out on any new venture. I, I just think that but people are trying I... to get mad at at least one thing of every Mandalorian episode, and they decided to pick her head tails and, and little Yoda's name on this episode, so it's like, I don't yeah. know if I could bother with it. One thing I do think looked really good is Ahsoka's white sabers. I'm surprised that they haven't utilized white sabers before this in live action because in that shadowy forest, it just, they look so pure and so bright, you know? Isn't. And I was just in love with the look. Isn't the white saber new canon lore of a, of a corrupted crystal being uncorrupted? Kind of reclaimed. Yeah. Yeah, so. Ahsoka in the Ahsoka novel, she took some old crystals from a Sith Inquisitor and turned them white, kind of reclaimed their light-sided affiliation. And so that's why they have a white kind of color to those sabers. And I I think they just looked uh, so, so good. And just kind of like looking at like 
the use of colors. Like, I really just want to see Ahsoka fight Moff Gideon. Like, white sabers versus dark sabers. Like, it would just look really good, I think. Yeah, I think from the... Visually. From the, or at least from the conclusion of this episode, though, I think the the appearance of Ahsoka is short-lived. Uh, I think that she was definitely, like, a plot point to get uh, the Mandalorian pointed in the right direction. Uh, now, I guess it is left a little open-ended when Grogu goes to this temple and uh, a Jedi might go looking for him. It's possible that Ahsoka would be the one called. You know, I don't know how they're going to handle this, but we might see her again at the results of that plot point in the future. But I, I don't actually expect her to stick around um, without like some major episode deviations. I'm personally expecting to see her again, kind of like at the finale, but that's just because Dave Filoni's involved and Tython is involved, but we can touch on that more later. I've been kind of noticing some Arthurian legends connections when I've been watching season two, and... Kind of like the King Arthur legend, uh, you have the dark saber, which is very similar to the sword and the stone, like the one true ruler of all England. They unite under Excalibur, and then in the Clone Wars Rebels and now the Mandalorian lore, they all unite under the dark saber. And it's not a sword that came from a stone, but it's like a sword that looks like a stone. And then this episode takes place in the city of Caladan on the planet Corvus, and that is very similar to a battle that King Arthur was a part of. I may be getting the pronunciation wrong, but it's like Caladan. And then, of course, the villain in the King Arthur cycle, one of them, is named Morgana, and in this episode, the villain who has a very interesting master, was named Morgan Elsbeth. So it's kind of like similar to Morgana, so it's Morgan. And one interesting thing is the character of Morgan, she was played by Bruce Lee's goddaughter, Diana Lee Inosanto. And she's a prolific stunt woman, and, and I believe she's been training Rosario Dawson. I don't know what the King Arthur parallels mean, but I think it has to mean something. I, I guess. like that they we'll do kind of pull that, pull from that instead of just kind of like make it up as they go. Uh, I, I kind of like the, the small connections that uh, they, they kind of include with the story. And then uh, when Mando comes across Ahsoka, I just love that fight between them because usually it's just lightsabers against lightsabers, but just involving Beskar, I'm surprised that uh, Star Wars films hadn't come up with something to kind of, for like normal people to have a chance against lightsabers with before, and it just looks so good, and I was like, I when I was watching it, I'm just like, I need a KOTOR or a Mandalorian Wars adaptation stat. So, what did you think of that fight? Oh, I thought it was I thought it was alright. Like, it's kind of hard to see how they would have met any other way. Uh, you know, because he 
he's just kind of out in the woods looking for her, and the only people that Ahsoka knows is out for her are the agents of Morgans. So it it was going to be a conflict probably, and I think and I think the only reason why it stopped was because she saw uh, Baby Yoda uh, just kind of like poke his head out. So I mean, it's a freaking cute baby and it looks like yoda so i'm sure she yeah it definitely sparked her interest was right off the bat to see a uh you know the same species of yoda um tagging along with the mandalorian there should be a species name at this point like i don't know like sometimes it's awkward to say like whatever yoda's species is called that species but yeah i mean who knows it's it's like a unnamed species that lucas didn't Maybe they're called pterodactyls or something. I don't know. But one quote I did kind of like that I'm like, is this a reference to the Phantom Menace? Ahsoka says something along the lines of, I like beginnings, good or bad, they're always memorable. I guess I was like, oh, it's a reference to the Phantom Menace. It was cool to finally learn some more of Baby Yoda's history. And I was surprised that he grew up on Coruscant and was at the temple when Order 66 was going on. Yeah, me too. I and, uh, This is kind of like the one point of the episode where I was like, really? but really though? Um, it's kind of it's kind of like how I felt with um, Cal Kestis from Jedi Fallen Order. It's like, oh, uh, a, a survivor of Order 66? Really? <laughs> and especially if if Grogu was at the temple at at that time, like that's uh, I mean that that place was cleaned out by the clones. Yeah, maybe Anakin was like, he's too cute, can't do it. You know, I I just was imagining in my mind like maybe when the droid march kind of musical riff is going on, where it's like dun 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 dun, dun where. Anakin is marching with the 501st Legion. I'm like, maybe like the other side of the temple, someone's just marching down with Grogu. And it's like, I don't know. So I w- maybe it'll be described in a flashback. Maybe we'll have a flashback. Probably not. But there's more to that story. And I think we should get how he was spared. But what do you think of the name Grogu? Whatever. <laughs> Uh, I yeah. mean, yeah, I, it's like, uh, I can't really think of an alternative. I mean, it eternalized baby Yoda, but that's obviously not a name. So I, as far yeah. as like Grogu, I mean, it's not the worst Star Wars name. So I, I guess that's where I, I label it on my tier list of Star Wars names. It's not the worst name. If we knew his name off the bat, I think people would have just called him Grogu forever. So I think it is a bit of an adjustment. Yeah. I don't know why they delayed his name so long. There Grogu. was nobody to to like share the uh, his name with the Mandalorian, right? Like he doesn't. He's not wearing like dog tags or anything. So it was yeah. just the child through the whole series up until this point, to where he could communicate telepathically with uh, with Ahsoka. So. So I think it kind of took me aback and like Grogu. I was kind of expecting Minch or Buffy, which were alternate names for Yoda for the Empire Strikes Back script. Mm-hmm. It would have been funny for, I don't know, Baby Yoda to be a Buffy. It would just be hilarious. But I'm like, okay, Grogu. Part of me is like, is it kind of supposed to be like 
a little bit similar to George, kind of like mixed up, but, or like, it's like similar to the word grow, like, and like, uh, or it's just, you know, a random, they're like, he's like a frog, but let's do it with a G. So it's like grow and then put a U at the end. It's, it's Grogu. And I'm like, I don't know. Maybe it came from George. Who knows? Yeah, somebody on my um, Twitter feed was like, I wonder if they just like got got some darts with letters attached and threw it at the dartboard and went, Grogu. And uh Play Scrabble. We'll you go know? with that. So. You know. I, I mean I don't I don't really know how they came up with the name, but I think like I'm sure we'll learn at some point. Yeah, like so. I said, it's not the worst Star Wars name that's come across the desk, so I did find it interesting that Morgan had a spear made of Beskar. I know, for being such a rare is, material, everybody seems to have a Beskar artifact laying around. I'm like, wow, okay, apparently it's not that rare. But spears are different, you know, visually from a lot of what we see in Star Wars, so I did like that. And I kind of like the connection with the spear, because, you know, at the end of the episode, uh, the Mandalorian kind of wins the spear, and... Like, there's a similar weapon that the actor wields in, like, Game of Thrones. So this is something that, like, he he has experience with. And so, yeah, like, I'm a, I am a, uh, excited for him to start using this in combat. Because it's I think it's going to yeah. lead to some really good combat scenes down the road. That he can do more of. So that would be good. Mm-hmm. And one KOTOR reference that I kind of missed at first, but then as I kind of just kind of saw other people post, the droids that Morgan has, they're HK-87 droids. So in 4,000 years, they came down all the way from HK-47. So they only have about, so it took them 4,000 years to get 40 more marks of the HK line. So. Hey, with the with the imperial uh, halt on technological advances, I mean, yeah. surprised they got forty of them. And technology doesn't always just go upwards in a straight line on graphs, you know. Like sometimes you can, they go up and down, you know. Like if you look at history, that's how technology works too. And we've kind of touched on that, but maybe you can touch on that some more. I did like how the Ahsoka and Morgan fight. It was an Eastern showdown, and then at the same time you had the Mando and Lang showdown, which was like a Western, so mm-hmm. it was really cool. And I have to admit, like, I watched the episodes with with subtitles, and so I was just kind of like watching this and uh, seeing Ahsoka and Morgan talk, and then... Ahsoka asks, where is your master, Grand Admiral Thrawn? And I read it, and I guess, like, maybe my eyes just kind of, like, messed up Thrawn. So at first I read Tarkin. <laughs> I was like, wait, what? He's dead. He was CGI in Rogue One. Like, is, he's he's alive. But then I'm like, oh, and then I heard Thrawn. And then I was like, okay, that makes a whole lot more sense, you know? Yeah. And what I love is that he's kind of returned to his natural habitat and the timeline, you know, nine after the Battle of Yavin, you know. So how's that? I mean, it was a surprise to hear Grand Admiral Thrawn's name drop, but it does it does make sense in the timeline. And so uh, that, that's something that I would like to see. I, I really like his uh, his Star Destroyer. If uh, if we do see 
octopus scene with uh, the the chimera uh i'd i'd be super down to see i was already pretty happy to see the uh the architans class cruiser in the uh, in the previous episode so i'm i'm always a big fan of of uh canon ships shown in, in live action i think in episode 11 we covered the rumors of a rebel sequel series and i'm kind of wondering if this is supposed to be a launching point for a rebel sequel series but it's going to be live action rather than animation and i don't know i, I wouldn't be opposed to it like kind of getting some more shows fleshing out the kind of sequels trilogy timeline so it, it would be interesting to see one thing i was kind of surprised about I don't know if Ahsoka knows that Anakin was redeemed or not, or has met Luke Skywalker or knows about him, but Ahsoka is kind of down in this episode, and you can kind of just see the scars of her... The scars of her connection to Anakin, like, it, it still has messed her up, you know? And she's like, I, I sense a lot of... it attachment that Grogu has for you you're like his father I can't train you and I'm like oh man like she's still feeling really bad about Anakin so I hope that she crosses paths with Luke Skywalker maybe Luke Skywalker could be CGI Mark Hamill or played by Sebastian Stan but I just want those two characters to meet and have her know that at the end, he he was Anakin again. What do you do? What do you think about that? Well, I so this is one of those plot points where I, I couldn't quite remember, but it made sense to me when she said she wasn't going to train him because I kind of felt like that the the plot kind of deviated from the original goal, which was for Mandalorian to find um, Grogu's people. Uh, what you know, whether it's the Jedi or um or the species is kind of how i interpreted that and so uh i think i thought that where ahsoka uh, it made sense for ahsoka to be like a, a point of interest to direct the mandalorian to the right people it was outside of my expectation that ahsoka was the the people like the end goal for this I think Ahsoka will be part of the end game, but I don't think she's all of it. And it'll be interesting to see how the rest of the season unfolds. But yeah. and the more I the more I watch this, the more the more it kind of comes clear to me that I think though the Mandalorian kind of wants to find a new home for Grogu, I think that with Moff Gideon, like, chasing him down, trying to, like, apprehend Grogu. I think that the story might end up evolving in such a way that the best place for Grogu is with the Mandalorian, and so it might just become a kind of like an unlikely pairing. Yeah. You know, like, indefinite until there's, you know, that the solution of dealing with Moff Gideon and probably dealing with um, Grand Emerald Thrawn, too, so now that he's kind of brought into this story because it, it could be that Moff Gideon is also a puppet of Grand Emerald Thrones. So uh and that and one of yeah. the things that I was thinking about too is with the 
appearance of Moff Gideon on the on this Arkitan's um, cruiser. Uh, that that's kind of like a patrol cruiser. That's not a that's not like a like a flagship that a you know that like a major um, officer would command. And so, like I do believe that, like he is working for Grand Emerald Thrawn, and Emerald Thrawn is the one that wants this kind of whole thing done. So, I don't know. Just yeah. just some thoughts after watching like these last two episodes. It was just interesting to have Ahsoka name drop Tython, and I believe that is a it's a world that appears in the Older Republic game. And it's, like, one of the first... I think it's the birthplace of the Jedi. Like, it's in contention with uh, Octu or Coruscant or one of the other worlds. But it'll be interesting to see Tython. And apparently, when the baby goes to the temple there, he will make a choice. And it's like, does he want to be a Jedi? Or does he want to just be a regular baby Yoda with no Force powers? So... It'll be interesting to see that choice and uh, see the final episodes of this season. I guess just like kind of seeing all these characters name dropped or appear like Bo-Katan, Cobb Vanth, Boba Fett, Grand Admiral Thrawn, and Ahsoka Tano. I'm kind of getting the feeling that The Mandalorian Season 2 is turning into a little bit of a launching pad for other shows. Are you kind of getting that vibe? What do you think about that? Well, it, I, I think it, it does add a little bit more of a kind of like a lived-in universe to have these these major players referenced in the Mandalorian because these are again these are um, several characters that are pretty active during this timeline. So I think it, it does add more, um, kind of like more depth around the story of the Mandalorian, and. I think, I mean, you know, Disney being a corporation, like, they, they definitely are trying to think of ways to make more Star Wars content. And so maybe maybe some of these names are kind of on their mind of including in other Star Wars spinoff uh, series. I think where it sits right now, I it, it was like a good bonus to add more world depth. But... Yeah, I think just Disney being Disney, they, uh, I'm sure they've been trying to find other ways to make more money off of Star Wars, and I uh, like unrelated to the referencing of the Mandalorian, they're they're probably thinking of these other plans anyway. So it'll be interesting to see what rumors end up becoming true. I'm hearing a lot about a Boba Fett spinoff, but. Part of me wouldn't want to have a Boba Fett spinoff where Boba Fett doesn't have eyebrows. <laughs> At least, like, me personally. So, I don't know about other people out there. Maybe they'd be, like, retconning and, like, be like, he can have eyebrows. But I think Boba Fett's I don't know. story. And I, I, I've been hearing Boba Fett rumors since the Obi-Wan rumors surfaced up. But uh, Boba Fett's best stories take place... Uh, between Attack of the Clones and Empire Strikes Back, and then all, kind of like overlap between A New Hope and 
kind of like after Return of the Jedi, but before Mandalorian. If they were to do a Boba Fett spinoff, I think the more interesting tale would be the kind of the before the original trilogy story of Boba Fett. Uh, because a lot of the story uh, between A New Hope and shortly after Return of the Jedi is just his journey of hunting Han Solo. So uh, I think that that part of his story wouldn't warrant like a, a big show. It would be like a maybe like a one or two movie thing. And so, but again, I think it would entirely depend on people's interest in Boba Fett. And I think Disney made the better choice of doing this uh, other Mandalorian themed show instead. Let's just take a quick break and then we will discuss some of the other episodes of season two. We're getting pretty close to life day or whatever you want to call it. If you wanted to give us a gift, the greatest gift you can give us is if you like, subscribe, share, rate or review our podcast wherever you may listen to it because it really helps us get seen and noticed by more people who are trying to find a KOTOR podcast out there and we're we're just we're growing and everything you can do it helps us uh, reach more people and we're just trying to be a launch pad for all the KOTOR and Star Wars news that we can do and everything you do helps us out so we're always grateful for everything you do and yeah let's uh talk about these mandalorian episodes coden what did you like and dislike about the passenger which of course was directed by peyton reed that's why we had dr mandible the big ant in the episode because he you know is connected to the ant-man of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and it was written by John Favreau. What did you think of that episode? Oh, I think that this was the weakest episode of the whole set. Uh, well, of of season two, I should say. The thing it had going for it the most was that it it did tie into the overall plot of the Mandalorian, which was a a major flaw of season one. But like, I didn't really care so much about the. Uh, the lady they were transporting there there was some fun dialogue between the mandalorian and the x-wing pilots and then the whole like spider sequence was all right i i just think that it was it, it was just kind of like a really random uh episode for the series in my opinion it wasn't my favorite i did like frog lady but i kind of just think if there were like a female director or writer on this episode that they would have noticed that hey maybe we shouldn't play the egg eating as a joke you know <laughs> a lot of people had problems with it like i don't think baby yoda needs to be canceled i don't think he was committing genocide but yeah i mean like just to if... just to nail down some some nails here um for you know the the eggs weren't fertilized yeah apparently it was the last of her species i don't know if why she couldn't yeah. lay more eggs but they were unfertilized eggs so it's not like i mean unless unless the entire population of star wars became vegan overnight um 
Most of us eat yeah, eggs but, for I mean, breakfast, like, so... Baby Yoda has eaten frogs before, but they weren't, like, sentient frogs. Uh-huh. They were kind of more like creature frogs, and, like, it was, like, a Tuesday, and frog ladies' intentions were, like, to get them fertilized, like, the next day. Um, so maybe, like, he could have just eaten one of them, but then maybe not have it, like, play as a joke for the whole episode, because I, I don't think it landed... And Frog Lady seemed like she was on the verge of a panic attack the whole episode, so I think it could have it could have played differently, I think, but maybe he could have eaten one and then kinda learned, but I don't know. It it was kinda just not the best use of humor in my opinion. I, I don't think Baby Yoda like needs to be punished or anything like he's just a kid but i mean my my parents loved it so so there we go well that's great chapter 11 is the heiress and it was directed by bryce dallas howard and it was written by john favreau and personally this was my favorite episode so far of this season what did you think of it the only the only thing i didn't like about this episode was like the you know the the 11th betrayal uh, you know, in the in the runtime of the Mandalorian, uh, and you know, spoiler alert: there's been eleven episodes up to that point, and so I I just kind of felt like the the part where he gets like pushed into the into the water. You need to stand closer to the edge. No, closer, and your baby should too. This is really cool. Yeah, like, like I'm ready I for think... a new a new plot point. Like other than that. I, I thought the episode was pretty good. We we met the Mandalorians. Well, they land on the moon of Trask, and Frog Lady is re- is reunited with Frog Man, yeah. and together they create a frog family. And they also babysit Baby Yoda, and I'm like, please, Baby Yoda, just don't eat any more of them. They don't need that. Well, that's probably the best supervision and... that, that Grogu's had so far is with Mom and Dad, so I think... I think yeah. you know they they definitely did a good job like showing Grogu the uh, kind of the evolution of the egg to the tadpole. So you know that that definitely yep. fascinated him after he had eaten you know five or six of them. It's like I ate three of them. Who knows how many he ate? Yeah. But, yeah, it was a bit. But, but I think that I really liked that the moon was called Trask, kind of of Trask Olgo fame. The companion who dies on the Endar Spire and I noticed the boat or the ship in the water that the fishermen are on when they try to get the Beskar it kind of has that hammerhead design uh I did like that and just I think uh Bo-Katan and Axe Woves and I forget the name of Sasha Banks's character but Sasha Banks's character like they had the best I thought I thought the live action Mando action I think uh, in all of Star Wars like I, I loved it. Yeah, I really liked the uh, the translation between you know animation to live screenplay with this uh, with this team. I think everybody yeah. looked pretty well done except for Bo-Katan's hair. Uh, I thought that was a little. It looked a little too wiggish, in my opinion. I think they. Could it's have just done the hairstyle better. that didn't that definitely didn't age well as far as like. I guess trends go and so I think that and that's just like a little thing like obviously that didn't ruin the whole thing 
I think how this episode progressed where he meets these guys and we, we see why Pedro Pascal get really upset about not being able to remove his helmet because they all crack their helmets off and then we realize that he's part of like an extremist tribe and which yeah. we I think we already knew. And so and then he helps them hijack the Gazanti freighter. And yeah. Um, Those Imperials knew how to Imperial. I was very impressed with them and their electro cyanide pills were very <laughs> interesting. But very, uh, yeah, all in all, it was my favorite episode of this season. And it's just great to have Bo-Katan mention Ahsoka Tano. So yeah, I mean, there's there's yeah. there was already that connection from Star Wars, the Clone Wars. So that that reference made sense for Bo-Katan to, to point into. I was surprised that she knew where Ahsoka was, but you know, that's maybe they do keep in comlink tabs. Yeah, maybe it's just hard for Ahsoka to make friends, you yeah. know, since all of her friends are dead. Then Chapter 12 was the siege. It was actually directed by Carl Weathers, who plays Grief Karga, written by John Favreau. It's interesting to see Navarro, just to kind of see how things have kind of turned around since the finale of Season 1. So he's kind of re- reunited with his old crew and one thing I thought was interesting was when they're in the lab, the music that is very similar to Snoke's theme and when Palpatine and Anakin are are at the opera and they're talking about Darth Plagueis the Wise, you kind of have that music in the background and I'm like, is this going to be like a Snoke clone or Palpatine clone? What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I... I I know that there was a a connection between this project and the first order and so like it made sense that they they were studying a way to uh migrate like force sensitive blood from one body to the other because they um they would need to do that to make a Snoke clone a jar of snokes a jar of snokes right um and yeah. so, I mean, and I, you know, we, we already know my thoughts on the sequel trilogy. I think it's uh, all there's like it's a whole bundle of weak plot points. But, you know, I they have to kind of repair and explain themselves somehow. And so I think this connection yeah. is like it's definitely like justified to make. But again, I think this is just another one of those um, connections in the Mandalorian that contributes to the overall picture of Star Wars, and I don't, I don't anticipate that it'll lead to much more, like Mandalorian plot points, um, other than maybe f- further discussion between uh, Moff Gideon and the Mandalorian of um, maybe maybe more dialogue will open up over why Moff Gideon wants. Rogu, and so that's you know that's something to yeah. maybe anticipate but as far as the like seeing more of the research and like development and things i don't think we'll see much more of that yeah i mean the the episode had some good action but it i did kind of think like for a lot of people they didn't really like the prequel trilogy until the clone wars 
kind of fleshed out more of George's ideas. So I'm like, maybe The Mandalorian can do that for a lot of people with the sequel trilogy. So I don't mind it because I still don't understand the political situation post-Return of the Jedi. And there were three sequel trilogy movies and they didn't really explain anything. And even in like the canonical lead up books they don't really explain it so if we can get some more world building in the mandalorian like i don't mind that at all yeah so yeah but anything else no i think that's it i thought that um i thought the siege contained like so far i think the siege contained the best action yeah i think it kind of dragged at the end i kind of wasn't sure it seemed like it was a little bit of an action scene just to have an action scene, but um, I think Carl Weathers did a great job directing. And the only conversation it didn't that... really feel like it was just being filmed on the volume mm-hmm. for once. So, so that was nice. Yeah, like the only two things that that I picked out was I thought that the conversation between the um, the Republic officer in Cardoon was a little out of place. At the at the same time, I I think that he was trying to be empathetic, but it was more of just like a really poor sympathetic approach to her. You know, everybody that they had that little conversation about Alderaan and her losing her family on Alderaan, and he's just like, yeah, you know, his his question of like, did you lose anyone on Alderaan? And it's like, well, you know, like the whole planet blew up, buddy. So like, yeah, so yeah. like. Everyone's dead. It, that that was a little out of place. Um, but also the Razor Crest against all the different Tie Fighters. Yeah, it, the Razor Crest. I'm kind of sick not... of the Razor Crest being broken and then being fixed and then being broken and then being fixed. Well, aside personally. aside from that, the Razor Crest is not like a com. It's not a dogfighting ship, and so those Tie Fighters should have just thrashed the Razor Crest. What else were they gonna do? <laughs> So I think those were like the only yeah. two weak points that I had of this episode, but I think overall I I have enjoyed this episode the the most across the board of season two. We'll we'll talk about the conclusion to season two in the future, so you you can look forward to that. Yep. So and we'll always mention the Kotor connections we we see because they sprinkle in a lot. So yeah. yeah, probably just a little bit but... of housekeeping too. Um, so those that noticed that we we haven't been covering these week over week, we are just planning on covering these episodes in sections like this. So um, just just uh, if you want to hear more Mandalorian discussion, just keep keep an eye out on our topics of discussion on our on our episodes, and uh, and you'll be able to anticipate when we're going to be talking about the Mandalorian releases. Yeah, and then you can find us on Instagram at Ebonhawk Podcast. And I always usually am posting a story or post each day. And if you hit the link in the bio, that's the easiest way to keep up on our podcast. And The Ebon Hawk can be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts, as well as everywhere else that Anchor Podcasts are distributed. Subscriptions, reviews, and shares help us out immensely. And then our email is ebonhawkpodcast at gmail.com. And you can email us your questions, business inquiries, and 
general feedback. And if you want to talk to me directly, you can do so on uh, Twitch, Instagram, and Twitter. Uh, just by searching Code and Bond, uh, the, the live setting to talk to me is on Twitch. So you can find me there Thursday evenings when I um, tweet that I go live. Our intro and outro themes were composed by Alistair Shorman. He can be found at alistairsounds.wixsite.com forward slash alistairsounds. And then this has been the Ebon Hawk podcast. May the force be with you. We will be back soon. Bye for now.